Well, church, here we go again. Tonight, Jeremiah 23, we're going to uh, finish off um, the branch and then, and then kind of look at the transition and some of these amazing things. It is great to see each of you here tonight, um, even with all the wind, right? Um, so Jeremiah 23, just continuing on the, the branch, uh, if you will, verse 5 and verse 6. God, by way of inspiration, uh, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is his name by which he'll be called, the Lord our righteousness. So Jeremiah writes, um, and uh, he speaks of a, a salvation that would come from the Babylonian captivity, but it would also carry and reach deeper into the, the reality, right? The shadow and the reality, the reality is in Jesus in the New Testament through his death, burial, and resurrection. So we have that, that branch. Again, we're looking at, at that thought. Now let's do one more scripture and let's leave the branch. Uh, Jeremiah 33 and, and verse 15. What we also look at are like, um, so Egypt represents a, a state of bondage. And then Jerusalem in the New Testament, uh, you know, is that uh, we looked at an allegory, right? It's freedom. So we have freedom in Christ. And so we have uh, uh, Egyptian for bondage, Egyptian bondage. It's, it's amazing when you go back and you think about uh, what God has done. When you think about God's laws, some of the laws that God has written in the scriptures um, by way of inspiration, they really don't make a lot of sense. Like what I mean by that is it's not that it doesn't make um, logical sense, but it's are we that bad of a people that we would need a law on, on this subject? And that's where God gave laws um, regarding so many subjects like slavery, uh, where he gave laws about uh, making sure you take care of the poor. He gave laws about um, uh, things in the scriptures, such as how you treat people, how you treat crippled people, right? Lame, the lame. How you treat um, people that are um, blind, you know, don't trip a blind man. I mean, are we really, as, a, as, a, as humans, are we really that bad? I guess the answer is yes. And so God's laws about how you treat um, someone after war is over. You know, how do you treat a person um, after a war, uh, how do you treat a person that you take captive? Uh, also, laws that he gave us about how to take care of children and what not to do to children. Um, talks about, you know, the sexual sins and the fault, faults and all those. He talks about all these things. You go, why do we have all these laws? And well, he's just showing us that we all, if we all can surrender to this, we all really need Jesus. Thank you, God, for the laws that he gave to help to save uh, our humanity. Well, again, we're looking at uh, what God is trying to tell us is in the New Testament, you don't need all those laws because it says, hey, here's the number one law right here. Treat your neighbors, you would treat yourself. Love your neighbors, you would love yourself. Do unto others as you would do unto yourself. In other words, that erratic, or if you will, uh, re- helps us to understand how to treat each other. How do you want to be treated? Treat other people the same way, right? So the branch is going to bring that message to us. And so, again, the shadow, all these laws and mandates and rules all the way through, and then over 600, right? Over 600 laws. And then you come into the New Testament, thank God for what Jesus says. But remember, the book of James has like 50 laws or commandments in it. So, you know, small book, but a lot of commandments. Um, but now he's, the branch is the answer 
um, to all things, right? And we're going to show you this. We're going to come right back to this in a moment. Not to the branch, but just to see the reality, okay? So uh, Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse uh, 15. In those days at, and at uh, that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth, and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. Now, why did I bring all that up a moment ago? Well, because the reason they're going off into captivity is because Judah is very wicked right now. Very, very, extremely wicked. And so because of their evil and their wickedness, they're going to be carried off in the uh, Babylonian captivity. They're going to remain in this captivity for 70 years and then uh, be freed and come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the, the, the temple and all those things. Uh, and, and, and so, again, it's, you have this blessing from God where there's this immediate freedom. Uh, and then you have also the punishment for evil. But who and where will the freedom come from? Jesus, right? The branch. All comes back to Jesus. So everything in the Bible, though it steers us to the Godhead, in essence, it's steering us to Jesus. Right? So our lives have to mimic what the Bible teaches us. And that is, everything in your life has to be, be steered in one direction or another right to Jesus. Everything. Because Jesus is everything. Right? He's, he's our all. So God is our all. Jesus is our all. He is our everything. We sang the song, right? He is our everything. We sang the song. But here it is in Scripture. So let's look at, again, um, this, the amazing, I don't want to call it a mystery because it's revealed, but the amazing um, Scriptures that, I'm going to say this, and I'm I trying to figure out how to say this. <laughs> um, scriptures that have nothing to do with Jesus, but really, in essence, have everything to do with Jesus. And that's sounding like a contradiction. Let, let's read Genesis 28. So when you, when you read Genesis 28, if there weren't the New Testament to explain to us um, what, what was really going on in this text, Jacob's Ladder, um, you, we really wouldn't get the reality. We would only see the shadow. And the shadow is all about Jesus. And I want to look... These are the scriptures that are all about Jesus, but when you, when you read them, where does Jesus come in? So let's start at verse, verse 10. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching into heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Verse 13. No, let's, go, let's, let's talk about this for a second. What, what does that have to do with Jesus? If you, if you really think about it, you look at the text. You get, you get rid of the New Testament passages that show us the reality. It has nothing to do with Jesus. He, he went into a place, he lay down on a rock, and he went to sleep, and he had a dream. And then verse, verse 16 and, and verse 17, I want to listen to what he says. After the, 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 the wrestling and all those things that happened, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Wow, that's just so much in that passage, right? 
I didn't even know God was in this place. Well, what's the identifying mark that says that God is in this place? Well, he identifies that with his dream. Based on the revelation of God, he says, you know, God is in this place. Now, before it was just a regular place. But now this house of God becomes transformed in his mind as an awesome place. Verse um, 17. Um, verse 17. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Now watch this. You can't go to heaven without going through the house of God. Right? you got to become a Christian. And then every Sunday, and here we are tonight, even though I know this, this edifice, this building is just a building, we're in the presence of God. This is the house of God. Right? And so, so now the question is, do you know that God's in this place? I mean, you could go on and on with this text that has nothing to do with Jesus, but in essence has everything to do with Jesus. It's pretty, it's, a, it's an amazing text. Now, look at the reality. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse, um, verse 50. Here's the reality of what was going on in this text, right? Uh, what did it really mean? How does it have any kind of uh, type of significance for us, right? John 1 and verse um, 50 and 51, speaking to, to Nathaniel. Uh, but Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you shall see greater things than these? And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you shall see the heavens open and the angel of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So God says, okay, I want you to see the reality. Remember Jacob? Yeah, we remember Jacob. Of course, everybody knows Jacob. Jacob's well, John chapter 4. Everyone knows Jacob, right? Been told the stories, the account over and over again. You read about Jacob over and over again, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the promise of God repeated. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they went through these accounts where they would listen to their family, their parents, tell them about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our fathers, from where came the 12 uh, tribes of Israel. And we look back at Jacob and said, when he looked up the ladder, who did he see? Jesus. That's the whole point, right? He saw God. He saw Jesus the top of the ladder, and the angels were descending and ascending upon him, upon Jesus. And so Jesus is the reality of the shadow of the Old Testament. So you go, oh, okay, well, that makes, that makes a lot more sense. Wait a minute. But is God in this place? Right? Well, of course, right? Matthew chapter 1. What did, what did uh, the Bible reveal to us in verse 23? We might ask that question. Is God in this place? Verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. He's in this place. So now the question is, um, when we see what Jacob, Jacob saw the shadow, we see the reality. How do we respond to being in the presence of God? We have the reality, remember, right? The reality moves on to head to the heavenly. How do we respond being in the presence of God? Do we stand in awe? Do we uh, re have an uh, honest reflection when we think of the Lord's Supper? Are we, really, are we really honestly in the spirit 
when we're talking about being in the Spirit, right? We're here tonight in, 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 in the flesh, but in the Spirit, right, is our mind. Are we thinking about being in the presence of an almighty God, right? How incredible, right? I didn't even know God was in this place. Do you know that, right? So we could deal with that forever, but let's, let's move on. Numbers 21. And I want to put all this together in a moment. Numbers 21. So another scripture that it has, it has nothing to do with Jesus, but it has absolutely everything to do with Jesus. Now, here's the, the complaint of Israel. Kind of shows you something about our complaints, too. Because the complaint of Israel doesn't make any sense. They sound like little teenagers or little kids when they complain. Listen to their complaint. Verse 5. And the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. Well, you can't loathe what you don't have. They said there's no food. But we don't like this food. Well, then there is food. Right? You know, if someone asks you, what are you having? What, what are you making for dinner, Mom? Food. <laughs> right? Remember that answer? If you ever, ever get that? We don't like this food that we don't have. Well, you do have food. You're just being miserable because you're complaining instead of being satisfied. And that was the typical uh, image of Israel, right? That they complained an awful lot about life. I guess a good question to ask is, do I find myself sometimes acting like Israel? Complaining about life. Well, that's how, again, where's the relationship of Jesus in this passage? Uh, verse 8, please. And the Lord said to Moses, by the way, let me, let me give you, let me, I want to read the context. It won't be on the, on the screen. I'm going to start at verse 6. Here, here's, <laughs> and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. So here, they are in distress. Why? Why are they in distress? They brought it upon themselves. <laughs> What's a good example? That's the, that's the shadow. What's a good example? Stop complaining. <laughs> Stop complaining against God. Right? It is what it is. And I have to pull up my big boy pants and move on in life. I know we don't always like the things we're dealt in life, but it is what it is. God doesn't like it when we complain. Right? God wants us to be satisfied and content in the state that we're in until we can do better. What did God do? God was so angry that he sent fiery serpents upon them, and they bit them, and they died. Because of their complaint. It has nothing to do with Jesus, right? It has everything to do with Jesus. Because, verse 8, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he Lived. What were they actually looking to? 
Yeah, they're looking at Jesus, weren't they? Yeah, they didn't, they didn't necessarily. They're in the shadow. We're in the reality, and we're looking backwards. Turn to John uh, for just a moment, chapter uh, 3. They're, they're looking to the future, looking up at this, at this bronze serpent. But, but in reality, they were looking to Jesus for their salvation. And here's, here's a, a point for us that we need to remember always in good and bad times to look to Jesus. So Jesus says the reality, right? John 3, verse 13. And no one has ascended into heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man Ah, be lifted up. See, it's making sense now. Okay, now here's the thing. They don't have a clue about this, do they? I mean, they don't even understand this. But we do. And what's amazing is, as we're living in the reality, right, we move from the shadow to the reality to eternity. How many of us are going to miss eternity because we haven't looked back at the shadow to see the reality that's right in front of us that we're, we're actually seeing in the Scriptures and living in our own reality and stepping toward eternity? Right? How many of us are going to miss it because the reality it isn't good enough for us? Right? Even though we've seen the shadow, now we're in the reality, and we just... So he goes on, Jesus goes on to say that uh, in verse, uh, what is it, 14 and 15, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. And so, again, what were they looking to? They're looking to Jesus. Are we looking to... Here's the answer. Here, So, so there's this, this... We're looking at types. And I think an application that we can, we can grab from the Old Testament types, shadows, is that in all things, um, look to Jesus. Right? <laughs> I mean, that's the answer. Right? And, and they were in a terrible circumstance that they brought upon themselves because of the wrath of God, and God said, look to me. And, and someone asked me one time, well, why in the world would God give them a, a bronze serpent to look at? Isn't that like idolatry? Well, see, then we get into human, <laughs> human folly. Right? Why would you, back to, why are you questioning God? Just that was the answer, right, to help them to recognize that looking to Jesus, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me, right? John John 12, please, in verse 31. And then in that reality, how many times did Jesus try to take the apostles back? This is what's amazing to me about the Word of God. To take the apostles back to the shadow and then bring them to the reality and say, okay, now, that was the shadow. Now, here's what's about to happen in the reality to prepare you and take you on to eternity. And they didn't, they didn't get it. And that's why I look at the old, I wonder, God, what am I missing? Right, help me to see whatever that you want me to see about me to help me in my reality to make it to my eternity, which is where I want to be with you. John 12 and verse 31, um, Jesus says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the rule of this world shall be cast out. And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Again, the reality, right? They look to that serpent. But in reality, they were looking to Jesus, but they were only in a shadow. And now, if we do this in reverse and we say, okay, we have 
if you will, a cross before us. Because the cross, Jesus on the cross saved everyone before him, meaning the, the man, Jesus the man, right, on earth from Adam to Jesus and everyone after him. So here we are at that same cross idea that we get to look, we're in the reality, we get to look both ways. We can look backwards at the shadow and then we can see the reality and look forward to our own heavenly home. But you've got to take up your cross. You see that? You see the connection? You've got to pick up your cross now. You're, you're in that reality trying to reach the other end. You're trying to get to the other side. And so you, we have to stay committed and focused on God and all things in our life. And so here's this shadow that uh, Exodus uh, chapter 16. That, again, another one that well, it has nothing to do with Christ. But the reality is it has, it has everything to do with Jesus Christ. But again, they were in the shadow. Brethren, we're not in the shadow. We don't have to um, wonder any longer. So our faith, um, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What kind of faith do you think God expects his people today to have? Being as though we, we get to see the whole picture, right? And um, do we have faith? Have we drawn enough faith and understanding to really to really live in the reality of Jesus and move forward to our heavenly home? Do we have the faith, the confidence, the conviction, right, based on the evidence that is historically proven, that is spiritually proven, and uh, is undeniable because God cannot lie? What kind of faith do we have? Okay, let's go backwards again to the shadow. Exodus chapter 16 and verse 13. So it came about an evening that the quails came up and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. Remember, they've been complaining, right, again. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take up uh, an omer, a piece, according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. Okay. This is what God's giving you because you complain so much. What did God give them? Jesus. Okay, yeah, I know it's bread, but that's the shadow. The reality is, Jesus is not just the Savior of the world. I'm going to come back to this. He's not just the Savior of the world because of our sins. He's also the answer to all of our complaints. So in other words, what God is trying to tell us is, if you look to Jesus, you, you can fill the rest of the story out. Right? Yeah. If, you're looking to Je- if I'm looking to Jesus for all things, if I'm looking to Jesus, I will find fulfillment and sustenance. And oh, let me come back to that. Turn to the New Testament, to John uh, chapter 6, please. John chapter 6. So again, we're looking at a type, a shadow, 
The Old Testament is full of all these little things that are called types, these accounts, these these places, um, things, events, people. There are all these types that God has given to us. And if we look deeply into the Old Testament and we really, really dig, it's not this boring book of stories. It's the big picture that carries us from a shadow, something that you look back and you go, well, yeah, that, wow, that was pretty amazing. To this amazing reality that now we're, we're grown folks and we can go to the library and not even take a Bible and learn everything about Jesus. Right? You can learn so much because there's so much literature written about Jesus. You can put the whole Bible together just in the library alone. Right? But, but then we, we got to carry it the next step and that is to our reality. And then the question is, as we're reading the scriptures, and as we're looking back at the Old Testament accounts, and then the New Testament reality, and then to our reality, are we really focusing our lives on getting into heaven, right, that our eternal home, or are we reliving history and being just like Israel? That's a personal question that we have to ask ourselves. Am I, does my mind uh, remain stuck in the same um, form, if you will, the non-spiritual, as Israel? Or am I really seeing things through the eyes of spirituality? You know, Second Corinthians uh, chapter 5 says we no longer see each other, you know, basically as, as flesh, but as spirit. Do you see that? Do you see people as spirit? I mean, or do you see people? I, mean, I, I get it. We, I know. We're going to see flesh. I get it. But do you see souls? And then do we see lost souls and saved souls? Not based on our personal judgment, based on what the Scripture says, Christians and non-Christians. There are two types of people in the world, right? You're either a child of God or you're not. That's it. It's simple. God makes it very simple. Do I see souls? And then when I see souls, do I have a desire to help those who are lost to become saved? And those who are saved to stay saved? And even myself. Right? Um, so, Am I looking at the shadow continually or have I moved on to the reality and then to our heavenly home? John 6, if you will, verse 32. The next day, the multitude stood on the other side of the sea and saw that there was no other small boat there except one that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into a boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. So Jesus has gone off on his own and we're reading the text, and we're looking through, and we're going, okay, now Jesus starts to preach in verse uh, 32. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses, here comes the reality, who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says, all right, what was the answer to their complaints about bread? Jesus. <laughs> okay, it was bread. It, Jesus, right? That's the answer. Again, what's the, it's not, this isn't a trivia thing. This is, God is the... <laughs> Is, is the answer to everything, right? I know, I, I think I can do it on my own because I'm pretty smart. Well, no, not really. 
God is, if I can't figure this part out, um, I need to go back to school, but Bible school, right? God is the answer to every. So go back to the Old Testament and start looking at the complaints of people and watch how many times God sends God. Right? It's always God's answer. God is, the answer is always God. He's always the answer for all things, right? When it comes to everything, God is always the answer. I mean, unless I'm wrong, maybe I'm missing it myself. I don't, I don't think I am. Thank you. Thank you, brother. I, mean, I don't know. I, I'm looking out sometimes. I go, am I, am I talking to myself? God is the answer to all things. It's simple, isn't it? It just, but it's, I know it's not simple when I'm in my situation. I'll come back in a moment. But it really is simple. If I can recognize this in good times, I should be able to recognize this in bad times. It becomes my nature, right? Second nature, my first nature becomes my second nature. My first nature is self. It's got to become second nature. It has to be God, right? Okay, so let's go back to Numbers chapter 20. Let's look at it again. Numbers chapter 20. And I love it. It's an open book test that God has given us. He is the answer to... So where do you think I'm going to go this time? I'm going to go to that water uh, in the rock. And um, we start back at verse 7. What's the answer to their complaint? God. <laughs> Jesus, right? <laughs> Easy, right? Okay, verse, verse 7. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron, assemble the congregation, and speak to the rod before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beast drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock and he said to them, Listen now, you wonderful, kind, and compassionate people. (laughs) No, right? All right. Listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? And then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with the rod. And water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank. So even when man is all messed up, Moses got in trouble for this one, right? God still is the answer. Isn't that great? So even when you look at the world and you go, man, everybody's messed up. I mean, including me. Well, God is still the answer. It's not dependent upon man to find it's not dependent upon man to be, it's God who is the answer, regardless of what man has done, regardless of what man does. God is always still the answer. So water still came forth from the rock, though God was angry at Moses for not having, uh, holding him uh, in high esteem and in honoring him. So water came forth because, again, because of their complaint, and um, what, did, what did God actually give them? We got it, right? Jesus? He gave them Jesus again. First Corinthians 10. It doesn't end there. I'm giving you the simple ones, right? And I'm only giving you a few of them, but it's over and over and over again, all throughout the Bible, over and over and over and over again, every time God gives them himself. That's the answer. It's never anything else. So, uh, verse 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, again, you know, how in the world does this have to, the rock was Jesus? I would have never seen that had, it not, had I not been able to move by God's gift from the shadow to the reality, right? The type. 
to the antitype. Verse 4, all drink from the same spiritual drink. Well, they were drinking from a spiritual rock which, flowed, which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Right? And then Jesus says, oh, you think that's it? You think that was the only water? No, no, no. John 4, get out of the shadow because it's deeper than that. Well, how much deeper does it go? Well, he'll tell us in John chapter 4. I know you already know the answer, but I want to read it to you. Speaking to the woman at the well in verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So we're moving out of the shadows into the reality, our reality. And now we've got to go on to the next step, right? On the heavens. So we have the reality right in front of us. We, we had the type, now we have the antitype. We had the shadow, now we have the reality. We have God. They had God. They couldn't really see it though, right? What do you think Israel's, um, I guess it's not fair to say their major problem, but what was one of their problems? Well, one of their problems was they, they just had, um, they had a God on every corner, right? Too many, too many uh, of their own imp- self-imposed conveniences that really didn't work, right? Do you know why our conveniences don't work? Because we keep coming up with new ones. <laughs> we got to have more, right? It's just, we're never going to be satisfied. Even the Bible says it in Proverbs that the seeing eye and the hearing ear will never be satisfied. Never. We're never going to be, we can never, we will never have enough, ever. At some point, we've got to move out of the physical and into the reality, right? We're never going to have enough. Never, right? Why does, a, why does, a, why does Bill Gates continue to work? I mean, I guess he loves working. I would just say that. Let's say he loves working. But at some point, right? I mean, how much more money do you need? Warren Buffett and all these. I don't know. Maybe it has nothing to do with that. You know, how much? We can, we're just never going to have enough. Of whatever it is, just you know, we can't have enough candy bars. Oh, we gotta have a new one. We got—it's always something new. Our conveniences, even though they're convenient, they don't really work, right? What's what's going to be the net, the latest update on the phones? Right? Phones supposed to just—you talk to some of the old people, they go, "No, you you pick it up and you dial a number, it calls somebody." You know, I mean, I get it. We're we're in innovation and it's beautiful, but. The, the next, what's the next iPhone? The newest one. I don't even know what it is now. What's the next one going to have? You know, there's always something more. There's always something more. So that's okay, though. That's the world, right? That's, it is what it is. But allow our spiritual sustenance and fulfillment to always be in Jesus, right? That's the reality. That is the answer to all things. Believe it or not, we could actually live without phones. Like, literally, we're not going to die like we didn't have one, right? Or a computer. All right. So Jesus is more than just the answer to, to sin. Jesus is the answer to all things, even, even human complaints. When someone is complaining to you, um, you know, send them, send them to Jesus. Let's talk to Jesus about that. You know, let's, let's look. It's in the scriptures. It's in there, right? Um, when we're not satisfied, just look to Jesus. 2 Corinthians, please, chapter 4. He's the answer to all things. But I wonder, in the, in the hearts of, of Christians, in our suffering and in our struggles, is that the only time he's the answer? Or is he always the answer? Right? And in our bewilderment of life, is he the answer? He's always the answer. 
But a lot of times, um, we allow man to get into the way, and that's what gets us into gets us into trouble. Okay. So to the church, he says, verse uh, 7. We're skipping all the way down to verse 7. Yeah. Chapter 4. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. You see where he's, you see the direction, right? In the reality, you've got to steer life away from you, from me, and send it always going to Jesus. I'm always working. I'm always striving toward, I'm always walking toward where? Toward, toward heaven, my heavenly home, right? That's, that's my direction. That's where I'm going. And if I'm not going in that direction, I'm, I'm stagnant, maybe, or I'm going the other way. I need not do that. Everything has to be in Jesus, right? Everything, to, well, you know what someone said? When you start teaching this kind of stuff, they say, well, you know, we're not supposed to be radicals. But I asked Jesus that. I would that you were hot or cold, right? Keep the focus on Jesus. I used to always think when I was younger um, that, you know, I'll learn um, Jesus when I get older, like the old people. You know why old people go to church, right? They're about to die. Well, that's not true, right? But that's what young people think, you know. No, it's because they live life, and they, they've learned you can't live without Jesus. And when we're young, I was young and dumb, I thought, no, I got this under control. I can do this on my own, and I, I can't. So my life has to constantly be going toward Jesus. So uh, verse um, 7 tells us that it's not from ourselves. It's got to be about God. Verse 8, yes, even as Christians, we are afflicted. There are going to be troubles. But you know what I've found that you, you know to be true as well? that um, even if you're not a Christian, you're going to suffer, right? Christians suffer. Non-Christians suffer. That's one of those apologetic questions that were asked. Um, if God is such a good God, then why do people suffer? And the Christians are like, oh, well, I don't know. Well, because you're human. Because you're made of flesh. And, and guess what? The flesh is not eternal. So thank God for suffering in the flesh. And then they say, what are you talking about? Why would I thank your God for my suffering in the flesh? Because, sir, if you couldn't feel pain, you wouldn't know when you're bleeding and you die of a minor infraction because you wouldn't know all your blood's leaking out of your body. Uh, if you couldn't feel pain, you wouldn't know when you pick up a hot pan and you sear your hand. You wouldn't even know. You'd hold it in your hand, and you'd smell flesh, and go, hmm, that's a peculiar smell. <laughs> and you're burning up, and you wouldn't even know it. Thank God for pain that when you touch the hot pan, you immediately protect yourself, and you move away from it, right? If you didn't feel pain, if your appendix burst, you wouldn't even know it, and you just walk until you die. Thank God for pain, right? It serves its purpose. And then you can go on. Uh, down the list. So that's not even a valid question. Not if we're going to be human. So we are afflicted in verse 8 in every way, but we're not crushed. So what does a Christian have that the world doesn't? Something to look forward to. We're walking this way anyway, right? So through our affliction, we're walking on to heaven anyway. Just keep walking to heaven. Just keep walking uh, with Jesus. Uh, it goes on to say, perplexed but not despairing, Persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. So there's this thing that God is always doing what? Rescuing us, right? He's rescuing us every day. All right, how many, just out of curiosity, 
I, I know you know the answer. How many traps did Satan have laid out for you today? Oh, yeah, we don't, do we? We don't know the answer. And here's the other answer that we don't know. How many traps did God remove for us today to keep us from sinning? Think about that. What has God been doing? I know what I've done today, but what did God do for me today? Oh, that list is long, right? When you look into the spiritual world, right? Verse, um, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, uh, but though our outer man is being decayed, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Even things we can't feel, right? I know I, I go to sleep and we wake up and you feel rejuvenated for the night's rest. Thank you, God, for the night's rest. But God also rejuvenated your spirit to give you the ability to go on one more day. Right? One more day. You know, I'm just tired. Just one more day until it's time to go home. He's always rejuvenating us. God is working so actively in our lives every day that we forget to say, thank you, God, for, wait, I can't even, I don't even know all the things you've done, you've done for me today in the spirit world nor in the flesh, right? And then it goes on in verse uh, 17, we're out of time. The momentary light afflictions producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all Wow, that's pretty interesting, huh? I can't even, the thing I'm working toward and striving after, I can't, even, I can't even envision heaven. Can you? I mean, I'm stuck. I'm stuck with all the gold and, you know, okay, I get it. Maybe, well, not gold, flesh and blood can't. Okay, well, what is it? Well, I don't know what's up there, but I can't wait. I know one thing, I can look outside and go, wow, this is a beautiful place, Alaska. And if God can make this place, right? I can look at my wife, all the men will say this, and go, wow, she's so pretty. If God can make her, I can't wait to get to heaven, right? It's got to be an amazing place, right? All right, we're striving toward that, verse 18. While we look, not the flesh, not at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. So I'm always looking. So Jesus, God gave us a shadow and then he gave us a reality. And in the reality, let me close in First uh, Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. And in the reality, he shows you how important you are to him. He shows you how great you are. He says about you, verse 9, First Peter chapter 2, but you are a chosen race. Thank God, right? Tell people that I've been chosen by God. I'm so happy. Well, what does that mean? What are you talking about? Natural selection? I, I, we don't have to go there, right? That's, if the world wants to go there, they can. But you've been chosen by God, right? Chosen by God. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people that we don't belong here. We're only here for a little while, right? Stepping and passing on from this whole world to the next. We are a people uh, for God's own possession, right? God is specifically possessing us, right? In a positive, not, not demon possession, but possessing us and loving us and holding us and keeping us and strengthening us and blessing us and all those things, right? It goes on to say, uh, for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so God has a plan for us every day. Let's allow God to use us. We're in the reality. We're beyond the reality of Jesus, right? The next step is heaven. Aren't you ready to go? And can't you wait to get there? God's calling us, brethren. Let's stay faithful. Let's stay true. We'll come back, and, um, and, and this, this series ends at the end of this quarter. Um, it's, 
I hope it's been something to help us to just kind of reach deeper into the scriptures and uh, enjoy what God has given to us. We'll have a Devo in just a moment. Uh, if we can help in any way, please make it known. God bless you. Thank you.